First part of session 84. Let's begin this session talking about planetary changes and martyrdom. Let's begin. feel like I would also need three parts to finish this session, so buckle up because we have a lot to talk about here and some long answers that are always very juicy and fruitful. The first topic, like I said, that we're going to touch, aside from the usual personal uh, commentary or the personal uh, questions that were asked on Carla mainly, um, we're going to talk about that planetary changes in Martyrdom, which we have talked about in the past, so it's almost like reinforcing, and you'll see why uh, this this was a thing back then. Not that right now it's not, but at least in the past I used to hear this more often. So I think we're ready to start. Let's begin with the first question that I uh, sometimes in the past I used to skip, but. I've been putting it more and more. Why not? Don says in first question, could you first please give me the condition of the instrument? And Ross says, the physical complex energy level of the instrument is in sizable deficit. The vital energies are well. So uh, we have we have discussed this as well. Just a little difference between physical energy and vital energies. Your body is what has the physical energy and vital energy is just that which powers everything yes it's a combination of everything and this is usually where uh, any energy transfer is going towards uh, some goes to physical as we have seen with the i believe it's called the exercise of fire the ritual fire something like that that they used to do and also some other transfers that they have uh, sexual energy transfer does that for females um, and I'll emphasize that one of the one of the interpretations is that it's not just biological females but anybody who has in their relationship when sexual energy transfer is done um, there is a um, an imbalance between masculine and feminine, so it could be same gender. Uh, that's an interpretation. I I just want to give you both views. In any case, that's all we got for the first question. In the second question, Don is asking about something that was asked in the last session. And Don says, in the last session you mentioned least distorted complex protein and that the body complex of the instrument was capable of greatly increased distortion. Would you define the protein of which you spoke? And we would like to know, increase distortion in which direction? Towards health or ill health? So a couple of things here. Uh, protein and the direction of the distortion, the increased distortion. Ross says, we were in the cautionary statement about complex protein, referring to the distortions of the animal protein which has been slaughtered 
and preservatives added in order to maintain the acceptability to your peoples of this non-living physical material. It is well to attempt to find those items which are fresh and of the best quality possible in order to avoid increasing this particular entity's distortions, which may be loosely termed allergic. We were speaking of the distortion towards disease, which is potential at this space-time. So the two answers are uh, pretty easy to see. And I'll elaborate a little bit on, on the first one because, well, if you remember, I used to be a nutrition and training coach and I had my own, my own views in terms of protein and in general nutrition, of course. So what's, what Ra is saying, uh, they were talking about the protein intake of Carla. Now here is the deal. When talking about animal protein, there is, it's very obvious. And I would, I would even say that there's something to vegetables at this point, especially at this point, uh, similar to this, grains as well. Um, so I just want to mention it for you, for your consideration. Animal proteins, when just imagine how animals are treated in factory farms, and that's where I, I believe Ra is talking about at least, um, and not even, I mean, they only say that when the animal uh, which has been slaughtered, the animal has been slaughtered and preservatives added in order to maintain the acceptability to your peoples. Um, so we're talking about the processed meat and not just process the, the word process we should we should create more words for this um, because process can be anything processed can be that it has been uh, I don't know for example spam if you know that little can that has uh, apparently protein or meat and it's all just a blob of uh, something resembling protein or meat but it's not and it's just a combination of a bunch of stuff and sodium and who knows what else I haven't seen the ingredients but that that's process but also meat that you find in the supermarket now where is the difference or what's the contrast in farms I'm talking about just regular farms where they slaughter the animal as it's normal. I mean, they, they've had a natural life. They, they're old, and they, or they raise them for that, grass-fed and so on, all these things. I'm not particularly knowledgeable about all the fresh meat that you can find now uh, because I don't eat meat. But I, I agree that that meat is way better than what you find in the supermarket, which has been raised in a factory farm um, in deplorable conditions. So... Yeah, this is 1981, by the way, and things have exacerbated a lot uh, since then. It's been over 40 years, and so, yeah, it's something to consider. If you're eating meat, and I don't pretend or uh, presume to advise you on this because I've noticed that people uh, with diet, people are as fanatics and difficult and I don't mean that as a as an offensive way to say our our reactions to it but we become fanatics yeah we we become a little bit um, 
overzealous with our diet. So just a suggestion, if you're eating meat, especially those spams or whatever it is, um, I don't have a rule of thumb for what I eat. And I, like I said, I don't eat meat, so I don't have to put that into my consideration. But uh, even flours that are not, because uh, I don't eat gluten either for reasons I won't explain here, but um, I don't eat many things. And so I don't have to worry about the, uh, the precedence of where they're, they're coming from. But at least, yeah, where they're coming from is, a, is something important. Uh, what's the history of it? Um, how, how much have we modified over time? And it's just a lot to consider in terms of how much the industry has reduced the quality of the food and how departed it is from its original form. And there are other things that you can find that are closer to their original form. Uh, for example, I stopped eating oats, and I love oats, but I found the substitute, which is amaranth, and that seems to work well with me. And there's another thing that is very important. Um, let me just mention for the record too, I believe that some people can thrive on anything. Um, not on anything, but some people are more sensitive to foods than others. Um, and that's another thing. But in general, you just don't want to. That just means that you're a lot more resistant and resilient to all these chemicals and hormones and other preservatives that they add. You're very resistant. You're very robust in your health. However, that means that you're still reducing your lifespan in a way, or at least that's what I, I can imagine would happen. But this is just speculation. Um, I think it goes to anybody to say, okay, maybe not so much fast food or no fast food at all. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot to consider and everything is individual. But that's the answer for this. Uh, Carla was sensitive in 1981 to processed meat. And once again, I'm, from what I get that Ra is saying here, they're talking about meat that was slaughtered. So it's like a chunk of beef or maybe chicken. Uh, I'm not sure what it is, but yeah, meat that has been slaughtered and simply add preservatives. It's not fresh. Um, it's not when you go to the farm and they kill the chicken in front of you and you know you take it home and you have to do the whole process or they may even take all the feathers out, uh, depending on where you live. I know that in the city is very difficult to find things like this, but in any case, uh, I don't want to cover all the possibilities of how you can improve your diet, but just make you aware that um, it's 2023 and we haven't become very conscious about the production of food. And like I said, this also includes vegetables um, and grains, which are a big part of our diet. Now, um, the other topic, very simple, the distortion that Ra was talking about was towards uh, disease. So that's it. If she keeps eating this, then she'll get sick. Let's move on. Question three, Don says, what disease in particular were you speaking of and what would be its cause? Ross says, one disease, as you call this distortion, is that of the arthritis and the lupus, uh, erythematosus, I don't know how to pronounce that, erythematos, erythematosus, erythematosus, beats me. 
So lupus erythematosus. Erythematosus. Jesus, who creates this these words? <laughs> Uh, the cause of this complex of distortions is, at base, pre-incarnative. We refrain from determining the other distortion potential at this space-time due to our desire to maintain the free will of this group. Affirmations may yet cause this difficulty to resolve itself. So, I, I'm actually, I didn't do my homework, so I don't know what lupus erythematosus is. Um, Is it something? Well, there is arthritis, which we know that Carla suffered, and then there is this lupus um, disease. So she was getting more sensitive to become sick with this. And then they say we we cannot talk about the other one because we want to preserve free will. They didn't know yet. Perhaps they knew about the lupus, and they didn't know about arthritis, of course. They continue and say, therefore, we simply encouraged the general care with the diet with the instructions about allergy, as you call this quite complex distortion of the mind and body complexes. Uh, it's kind of interesting that Ra mentions quite complex distortion because we don't know what causes allergies. I mean, we know what triggers allergies and so on, but why? Why do we have reactions towards one thing? Why is the body uh, reacting as in panic mode for some substances other people don't uh, it's just strange so we don't know why we don't we we haven't studied the body that well to know why some people are allergic to certain substances or compounds or yeah these um, these molecules so it's interesting that that they call it quite complex distortion which is allergy Don says in question four, the instrument asks the following question. Ra has implied that the instrument is on a path of martyrdom, but since all die, are we not all martyred to something? When, if ever, does martyrdom partake of wisdom? Um, so it's a good question about martyrdom, and this is the one question that we have, I think, on this topic, so uh, it's rather long, I think. Yeah, we'll see. Ross says, this is a thoughtful query. Let us use as exemplar the one, let us use as exemplar the one known as Jehoshua or Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. This entity incarnated with the plan of martyrdom. There is no wisdom in this plan, but rather understanding and compassion extended to its fullest perfection. The one known as Jehoshua, which again is Jesus, would have been less than fully understanding of its course had it chosen to follow its will at any space-time during its teachings. Several times, as he called this measure, this entity had the possibility of moving towards the martyr's place, which was, for the martyr, Jerusalem. Yet in meditation, this entity stated time and again, it is not yet the hour. So we're getting inside Jesus' head here, and um, big, Disclaimer, I'm just interpreting this. But what we find is that, uh, first of all, they're saying 
uh, we're using Jesus as an example, and they say the entity incarnated with the plan of martyrdom. We knew that already. So that was his plan. Now, what is martyrdom? Is to give your life for others. Is to completely give your life for others. And this is something that we have seen several times. It was, in fact, let me say, um, I would say historically here, uh, people, few people know this, but this is the reason why Christianity went deviated. Uh, Christianity deviated from from Jesus' teachings. And everything that you see right now is emphasized on martyrdom. Because we didn't get the mystical teachings of Jesus, a lot of people in the first and second century, um, Agno Domini, people started to follow his teachings as, I need to sacrifice myself. And so the Romans were... Um, detaining these people, these, these Christians as heretics and saying uh, you have to um, you have to pay for your crime, you know, and instead of them, this is something that I think it was Valentinus who um, Valentinus who talked about this like this is madness, Valentinus was a Gnostic and he talked about this like saying this is madness, people are willingly submitting to the Roman um, justice to get punished and killed because they think that's what's going to lead them to salvation. And this was around the second century already. Um, and so he said, this is, this is nonsense. I mean, if you, if you can continue living, which is not, it's not, it's not martyrdom. It's just, uh, it's, it's a copy paste sort of thing and it's a wrong one because it's not, that's not what Jesus did so that's why we found uh, zealots basically on Christianity that in essence gave this uh, this distortion towards the, the teachings and that's why you would never see Jesus smiling and it's always you know on a cross and suffering and blood is dripping and he looks sad or upset or uh, maybe um, I don't know. It doesn't look happy. Jesus is a savior that doesn't smile. So that's uh, that was the, the direction in which it, it was taken. And now we have all these Christian-derived uh, religions. Now, Ra says um, that he incarnated with the plan of martyrdom. And so he would not have saved himself to continue his te teachings. He gave himself as a symbol of what it is to uh, to live for your own your own convictions. This is who you are. And so now I can't say that people shouldn't be martyrs because because Carla had that, and we can see the results of this. I'm not saying that we should live perfectly fine. and I have no idea. I have no ideals as to what is the perfect way to live. That is for us to decide. Uh, but I can say that, in my opinion, that was not the direction that Jesus meant to have his teachings so everybody could become martyrs. And that's why we have this self, um, what's it called? Flagellation uh, seen in Christianity and so they can enjoy the pain. It's, uh, it's very bizarre. 
So there is no wisdom in this plan, but rather understanding and compassion. So there you go. Um, wisdom as seen, seen as the, the development of the throat chakra or the blue, the blue ray energy center. And so there is only, they say fullest perfection of compassion and understanding. So acceptance and compassion. Now, they also said the one known as the Hoshua would have been less than fully understanding of its course had it chosen to follow its will at any space-time during its teachings. So, at cert a certain points he could have deviated from, um, from its teachings or uh, actually not from his teachings, from, from his path uh, during his, uh, his teachings. Several times, the entity had the possibility of moving uh, towards the martyr's place, which was so. This is this is uh, Jesus' mind. Several times, it seemed like he knew that if he moved to Jerusalem, and the way I see it is that Jesus, he just couldn't stand. It's like people like us. We just live in a different world, thankfully. Um, but Jesus couldn't. He, he couldn't stand the, um, the distorted views of the, the rabbi or the teachings or the elder, and he was going to speak his piece. So he knew that by saying that, he was going to, to die, basically. They were going to kill him. And so he embraced that eventually. But Ross says that in meditation, so there you go, Jesus meditated. Yet in meditation, this entity stated, time and again, it is not yet the hour. So he knew. He knew that it wasn't time yet. And yeah, uh, he kind of postponed his destiny. Now, what was he doing? I don't know. But that's uh, that was all part of the plan, I would say. I don't know. So... What else? What else did they say? Ra continues and says, the entity could also have, when the hour came, walked another path. Its incarnation would then have been prolonged, but the path for which it incarnated somewhat confused. Thusly, one may observe the greatest amount of understanding of which this entity was indeed capable, taking place as the entity in meditation felt and knew that the hour had come for that to be fulfilled, which is which was its incarnation. So here we get a clearer picture of uh, what would have happened to Jesus. It seems like it's not like he he wouldn't have fulfilled um, part of his plans, right? Because they said he would have if if he would have stayed away from Jerusalem and not finish his path as a martyr, he probably could have stayed as a teacher somewhere where he wasn't uh, persecuted, right? He wasn't chased by the Romans. He could have gone to India, perhaps, or some other place, but he knew that his place was um, as, a, as a symbolic and as a, as a teacher, a master of, of enlightenment. He knew that this was in Jerusalem. Um, so, if he would have continued, then he would have 
prolonged his life, but his his path would have been confused. And so we can appreciate, Ra says, the greatest amount of understanding, how much understanding and compassion he was able to um, to assimilate, to integrate within himself, knowing what was the truth, his truth, and knowing what was the reaction towards that truth. So eventually he said in meditation taking place as the entity in meditation felt that the hour had come for that to be fulfilled which was its in its incarnation so that's jesus um they say something else it is indeed so that all mind body spirit complexes shall die to the third density illusion that is that each yellow ray physical complex body shall cease to be viable it is a misnomer too, for this reason alone, call each mind-body-spirit complex a martyr, for this term is reserved for those who lay down their lives for the service they may provide to others. We may encourage meditation upon the functions of the will. So once again, uh, two important things here, for sure. So I think the question was um, was a little bit strange or... Uh, basic because Carla is saying well everybody dies so are we not all martyrs because we came here to die um, but yeah martyrdom is to give your life for others for those who you love or simply for the planet for uh, and beyond that you see there is a dedication to teachings right there is some this is something I have felt um, and we shouldn't reserve it for only a few people. I think everybody incarnates here for a specific path and it doesn't have to be teachings. It doesn't have to be uh, service to others in, in the sense of aiding poor people or hungry people or whatever, all these ideas that we have. It could be actually you know, becoming a lawyer and trying to improve the system. And a lot of people face the same thing that Jesus faced, which is, this is my truth. I don't believe, you know, uh, politics should be this way, but I feel I feel scared that people are going to react this way. So, you know, you you kind of diminish who you are. So, if I can put it some way, it'll be that. Again, this does not mean martyrdom to follow your path. Martyrdom is knowing that your path leads you to a sacrifice, a physical sacrifice of your life uh, people at war for example uh, defending their um, their brothers in arms could be anything could be anything that the person gives his life for uh, for the other so that is martyrdom is to know that's that's compassion and understanding of what it is and yeah at least that's how I see it and yeah, this term is reserved for those who lay down their lives for the service they may provide to others. Very simple, right? And then they say, we may encourage meditation upon the functions of the will. Now, why is this? Because will, we say that our will is directed and to a degree that is true. 
But there is a calling, if you will, from within that is almost, it's almost like pointing the direction of where you want to go with your will. In essence, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Do you know? If you don't know, then um, meditate on your will. Like what, what does your will want to do naturally without influence from the mind? Simply, what does your body want to do? What does your, your mind want to think? And what's happening? What's happening naturally within you? Notice that and you'll be able to, to see more because the way I, uh, I associate this, this suggestion to meditate on the functions of the will is that we're talking about the path Right? We all have paths. We, these paths can be easily described as those things we want to achieve and do. And if it's in the positive path, I mean, we have already enough material to know what the positive path is, then if it's on the positive path, it's a, it's a good validation to know that, yes, this is, this is what I'm doing. I feel great doing this because I help people doing whatever I do, as opposed to leech out of them some blood or money well blood <laughs> you know what i mean figuratively but yeah whatever it is energy um so follow what you want to do and keep doing it despite whatever it is you know financial hardship or i mean this is please don't take it as a financial advice <laughs> i'll be the last one to be that um but yeah just it sounds so simple. Just follow what you do. And I know all the excuses that we that we create, but I have no other way of uh, of reframing uh, reframing it. All right, let's move to the next question. Don says in question five, can you make any suggestions about the instrument's feet or how they got in the bad shape they are in, and would alternating the shoes help? So Carla's feet were uh, pretty damaged. Ross says, the distortion referred to above, referred to above, that is the complex of juvenile rheumatoid, rheumatoid arthritis and lupus erythematosus acts in such a way as to cause various portions of the body complex to become distorted in the way in which the instrument's pedal appendages, that would be the feet, are now distorted. So, Again, we're just going to get uh, some personal information here. And in essence, her distortions or, yeah, I like the word distortion for this. I said, I don't know, should I call it disease? Can we call it disease or illness? Um, yeah, so the distortion of ill health through rheumatoid arthritis and lupus, then that's what it costs. It caused the pendle appendages to be, um, I guess, damaged. And I don't know what happened to her feet at this point, but I know she was very crippled. And she talked about this, especially in, in book five. So if you look book five or you have the raw contact, you can look up the, com the commentary from Jim and Carla on this session, and you can read her comments on, on this. Uh, oh, I skipped something here. There we go. Ross says, we may suggest care in resumption of the exercise, but determination as well. 
the alteration alternation of footwear shall pr prove efficacious. The undergarment for the feet, which you call the anklets, uh, socks maybe, should be of a softer and finer material than is now being used and should, if possible, conform more to the outline of those appendages upon which it is placed. This should provide a more efficient aid to the cushioning, cushioning of these appendages. So, uh, again, there's not much of importance here because this, this is all personal material, but for, uh, for fun, we can... <laughs> Um, explain what Ra is saying here and the alternation of well first resume your exercise um, but with care and also with determination so keep on doing your exercises but do it carefully alternation of footwear is also good because I guess it provides different stimulus to the feet and uh, the undergarment for the feet, the socks, they should be soft. So if you have arthritis in your feet, uh, maybe you can um, see a benefit in this. So yeah, softer and finer material that is accommodated to the outline of the feet, basically. So it's not, I don't know what kind of socks she was using, but maybe something a little bit more soft and um, cushiony. I don't know. Let me give you uh, another anecdote. I recently went to a, a fall. I live in the forest here, and there's a beautiful place in Pennsylvania called Bent Run Falls. And I love it, it's my favorite fall. And so I went there with my brother and his wife and my wife and my son. And for the second time, I decided to go barefoot to just um, climb the the fall, which is not a steep climb. It's just walking up the, the mountain, and having f that feeling of touching grass, earth, or dirt, water, rocks, wood, all kinds of different textures. It made my I actually made a video two years ago perhaps when after this experience because it's such a stimulation for the feet and this is something I was terrified in the past of uh, touching the grass like even outside my house I don't know I just felt ugh, disgusted by it but I tried it and it was it was such an experience now if I do this with my shoes my feet are not getting not only the stimulus but also the adaptation because you have to move your toes uh, to grab the rock or you know this this kind of movement of the feet and I found that fascinating so that may be um, a good I mean an exaggerated example of how to use your feet um, and yeah as opposed to having just one pair of shoes and always wearing them wherever you go even at home people uh, I know somebody who wears his shoes at home and I thought that was crazy uh, he doesn't he doesn't feel his feet on other surfaces and well we, we need to have stimulus in our feet I I'm completely ignorant of all the benefits that this has and grounding and whatnot but I know a lot of people talk about this so 
let's continue on with Ra. They say, we may, f we may further suggest that the same immersion in the waters which is helpful to the general distortion is, in general, helpful to the specific distortion as well. However, the injury which has been sustained in the metatar metatarsal region of the right pedal appendage should further be treated for some period of your space-time by the prudent application of the ice to the arc of the right foot for brief periods, followed always by immersion in warm water. I'm not entirely sure what they meant here. Um, so immersion of water is something that they had been suggesting, something that is about, uh, it's all, almost like a massage of water with like a jacuzzi or something, whatever they had. Uh, rock called it whirling waters, which I think is funny. But yeah, that, that stimulus, that massage of water in your feet. So do that, and also the injury on the metatarsal. I am embarrassed to admit that I sort of studied the um, the movement and the planes of the body, and I I don't remember if metatarsal means the outer side of the foot. So if you look down the side on on, on the outside of your feet, I think that's the metatarsal region. Um, so, yeah. And that should be further treated. They don't say, oh, ice, okay. So applying ice and then uh, immersion in warm water, which is, is interesting because we, uh, me and my son started doing this cold water immersion for our hands. Um, I practice uh, cold showers or ice showers, but this is for alleviating or um, yeah, alleviating the, the inflammatory uh, parts of the wrist, which he's injured. So it's, it's interesting. You're supposed to do this, put it in ice and then in warm water. But oh well, let's move to the next question. Don says in question six, thank you. The instrument asks if the restricted unpublishable healing information that was given during the first book be included in book four, since readers who have gotten that far will be dedicated somewhat. Ross says, the pu this publication of material shall, in time, shall we say, be appropriate. There is intervening material. So I believe this is why they didn't put it in book four, but rather uh, they put it in book five. I think there is actually a footnote on this question. This question refers to material Ross asked not to be published. Um, and so, we can find that in in the book five notes to this session. Okay. Actually, no, I'm reading the wrong, right? This is six. Oh, no, 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 okay. So this is the law of one, a fifth book, right? So it's in book five, in essence. Publish over 14, 15 years afterwards, I think. Something like that, 1998. Okay, so with that, we can go to the next question. Don says in question seven, thank you, I'm sure that we are getting into an area of problem with the first distortion here, and also with a difficulty in a bit of transient material here. But I have two questions from people that I'll ask. Although I consider especially the first one to be of no lasting value, 
Andrija, or Andrija, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Puharik, or Puharic, asks about coming physical changes, specifically this summer. Is there anything that we could relay to him about that? <sighs> Planetary changes. What is Ra going to say here? You know they don't like talking about this. Ra says, we may confirm the good intention of the source of this entity's puzzles and suggest that it is a grand choice that each may take to, by desire, collect the details of the day or by desire to seek the keys to unknowing. Uh, I should have cheated on this question and go back to my conversation with Gary um, because I know he mentioned something about this, but uh, it's interesting. Yes, so this is 1982 actually, not in 1981 as I mentioned before. This is 1982 and there is a lot of channeling going on and people talking about doomsday and so on. Carla and Jim have talked about this in the commentary in their um, preface of each session in which they had personal material, book five. And yeah, there is this, this seeking for transient information. Don was totally aware of what this information was. It was transient, it was useless at least in the direction that Ra wanted to talk about. So this is one of the reasons why I, this is not one of the reasons, well, it's one of the reasons, yeah. Why I I was attracted, obviously, to the mystical teachings of Ra. What do they mean by becoming one? What do they mean by uh, polarizing, by raising the Kundalini and all these things? These are mystical paths to liberation, enlightenment. And when you compare that to, let's know what's going to happen this summer so we can be prepared. That is such a lower um, energy center preoccupation. So you can see that Ra was not interested in this. Now, planetary changes happen in the summer. People talking about all of this. Ra says, in essence, this guy, Andriha Puharic, he, He's a good guy, you know, he's a good guy, but um, there is a grand choice that each may take by the sire, collect the details of the day, meaning whatever you learn outside and uh, somebody tell you this is happening, that's happening, or um, I was recently told, so here in, and I used to be into conspiracy theories and so on. Uh, not so much the UFOs. I kind of, I mean, I had the raw material by when the time, uh, the time came for me to get into UFOs. So I was easily able to discriminate between uh, nonsensical material. I did buy it into some of the planets that fly every I don't know how many thousand years, Planet X or Nubian or whatever it is. Um, and the Anunnaki and all these things. Um, I mean, no offense to the people that enjoy this kind of uh, information, but I just found it completely irrelevant in my own path, which again, we talked about paths. See, it doesn't mean that everybody should be this way. Some people are interested in this stuff and that's their path, that's okay. Um, but 
yeah, I was interested in conspiracy theories and so on. So, of course, now and then I hear something that kind of triggers an old thought pattern, but it doesn't create an emotional reaction. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, as of recording right now, I think I haven't checked, but the wildfires in Canada. Now, bear in mind that I live in Pennsylvania, which is very close to Canada. And some people who live in the Northeast, at least, I don't know about the Northwest, have been reporting and seeing this obvious uh, dark skies. Like the, the smoke seems to be affecting the air quality and also it looks very disturbing, right? It looks very disturbing to go outside and it's a sunny day and the sun looks orange and all the light of the sun is dissipated through these particles. And I started having breathing problems because I have asthma. Not a big deal, but something that I would say like, okay, yeah, something definitely is in, it's in the air. So all these things, I I thought it was interesting, and I said, wow, you know, what a what a small world this is. You know, Canada is burning, and we can feel the impact here. And somebody, I can't remember who said this to me, but they said, oh, you know, they're saying that this is uh, the government uh, doing an experiment on on people with the air pollution and I don't know what else. And I, you, you get this trigger. It's almost like a reminder of how you used to react to these things. Uh, farmers have also, one specific farmer has, has told me, oh, you know, the, the government is causing this and that. And th that one I, I believe a little bit more because yeah, the government or those at power, the elite, which we know lackeys of the Orion group, or those who simply want to polarize negative are doing everything to maintain control, power, manipulation, and so on. But yeah, I, I am not moved by this anymore. Now, why? You see, this is collecting the details of the day, right? You collect all the details of the day. And what do you do with it? You know, you're going to become paranoid. You're going to feel uh, scared. You're going to feel... What are the feelings that you're having? And this is something that you need to be fully honest with yourself. Do I feel empowered? Do I want to do something about it? And I'll, you know, it makes me feel good, like happy and determined and so on. Well, great. Yeah. But if there's a little bit of fear in your, in your assimilation of this, maybe you should consider, maybe you should consider why, why you're feeling that way. So yeah, I, that that's one way. Now, Ra gives another option when these type of information is given to us. They say, by desire, seek the keys to unknowing. Does this mean I don't want to know anything? Unknowing? Does this mean uh, I am going to ignore things and reject when people talk to me about whatever because I'm, I want to be this blank slate? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think that's Ra's approach. They're not a mystical teacher for nothing. Unknowing is a very well uh, aspect of the mystical path, which is to understand that you don't know anything. And plus, you don't have to know anything because everything, you are not separate from reality. And here's where the mystical teachings actually help to understand and assimilate these, uh, this type of information. Or simply, not, not even assimilate the information, just 
Be interested in the unknown. You see, be interested in that which cannot be known, and that's the, the mystical path. That which cannot be known is you. There is nothing that can be um, that can't be known that is not you. The only thing that you cannot know is yourself. And so if you follow this path, and this is what I obviously um, gravitated towards in my teachings, is to go to that place of unknowing. That's what Ra is saying. Why? Well, I can report to you my changes. The more I became interested in this path of knowing myself, the essence of who I am, which is not a mind, it's not a body, it's not activity, it's not any of this, the more I got into that, the less important all these things became. Not even three years ago, I was still sort of involved in the whole elite conversation and what they're doing and how we can be prepared and so on. Uh, but once I took this this path seriously or sincerely, I, I simply don't care. And people approach me because some people know me and they talk about these, these things and I, uh, I just give them my honest answer, which is, you know, yeah, that, that, that's possible. Um, and, you know, how do you feel about that? That, that should trigger, you know, oh, you know, I feel awful because I'm being manipulated and so on. I'm a victim of reality is what we say. I am a victim of reality. So if you're inclined to the mystical teachings, then isn't that a good sign for you to um, recap your life and say, hold on, I'm feeling victimhood here. Who is the victim? But yeah, this is a long conversation. Um, I don't mean to go on a full tangent on the mystical path of knowing yourself so you can be liberated from this mind. Okay, <laughs> let's move on. Don says, I am interested, I can't help but be interested in the fact that he had reported being taken on board craft. Could you tell me something about that? Uh, another one Another one of those questions. Ross says, the nature of contact is such that in order for the deep portion of the trunk of the tree of mind affected to be able to accept the contact, some symbology which may rise to the conscious mind is necessary as a framework for the explanation of the fruits of the contact. My God, do we need to work on this? <laughs> um, okay, so let me stop here. Whew. So we're talking about contact. Is it contact of the fifth kind? I don't know. But yeah, taking aboard a craft, you know, this was very common. I'm pretty sure it's still happening now. Some people report certain UFOs and so on. I don't know about being on board a craft, but isn't it interesting that this was more prevalent in uh, the mid 20th century and onwards till the 80s or 90s, I think. Um, yeah, whatever happened to that? I don't know. Now, I have my own interpretation of this, and feel free to um, reject it and have your own. But what's happening here? I can't see the world in a different way from where I have, I have become to acknowledge it. Reality is not separate. Reality is just one thing. All distance, all time is illusory. So 
it means that it's not happening. However, the animation, the activity, the movement of perception does change. That's the, that's the premise of reality. There is one consciousness and that consciousness is you and everything it perceives must by default have space and time. You see, infinity needs to veil itself. And again, I'm not talking about third density veil. I'm talking about the veiling of pure awareness because pure awareness, and you can corroborate this in your experience, pure awareness has absolutely nothing. There is no space, there is no time. Uh, we call it infinite, but simply because we cannot imagine space. We cannot imagine anything. It could be one singular point or a vast infinite universe, if, depending on what you want to visualize. So that's the nature of reality, okay? Now, this means to me that we are not perceiving truthfully things that are objects out there. You see, objects are not something away from us. Perceivably, it is. Just like in a screen, it seems like there is depth. Don't even go to a screen, look at a painting, as I've always said, seems to have depth. I love watching Bob Ross on my idle time after watching a movie or something. And Bob Ross creates this. You can see the sky first, and then he, he paints the mountains, and then some distant trees and all that. Nonsense. He's just putting paint there. We are creating that with our eyes. I mean, an alien who could see that and doesn't have a frame of reference would say, I don't know, just see a bunch of colors in there. I don't see anything, right? So we are creating that. So we, third density entities, are creating this illusion of space and time. Now, why am I explaining all of this? Because when you approach reality from this point of view, there are no craft boards that came here. And even beyond, they're not part of this illusion that we call third density. They're a part of a metaphysical illusion. So there's two things to explore here. And the first one is that one, they're not out there in this third density reality. Two, they're in your mind. And most importantly to emphasize is that regardless of its outside or out there in third density, which we know it's not true, or inside our minds, there is no separation. I tried to explain this to somebody who um, reached out to me saying, you said that all entities are in our minds and that that is nonsense because I have video recording of entities that have appeared, you know, so I, I have recorded away from me. And so my answer to this is, well, where did you perceive it? Were you outside yourself when you perceived it or were you inside yourself? Of course you were inside yourself because there is no other self. It is only you. All you have experienced, all you will ever experience will be from yourself, from that point of view. And so everything is happening inside you. Perception does create the idea of illusion so we can have experience, that's it. So, okay, with that being said, uh, Ross says the nature of contact we're talking about UFO contact, being on board a craft. The nature of contact is such that in order for the deep portion of the trunk of the tree of mind affected to be able to accept the contact, so meaning 
in order for this deep portion of the trunk of the tree of mind, meaning this, the mind is not this uh, conscious awareness that I have, right? Uh, the mind goes deeper and there are deeper portions, roots of the mind. So for in order for this to be stimulated, to accept the contact, some symbology which, uh, which may rise to the conscious mind, you see, to, the, to conscious awareness, to the conscious mind, is necessary as a framework for the explanation of the fruits of the contact. Meaning, I need an explanation for this. I need to have a form, a story, a message, and all these things. So, you can liken this to your computer, right? You're looking at your computer or your phone right now, if you can, and you see a screen. And you say, well, isn't that great? There is, uh, There are moving things in there. They're not moving things. They're creating the illusion of moving things. Also, it's just a bunch of, like the painting, colors, pixels, who are alternating themselves very rapidly to create the illusion of things in there. There are no things in there. There's only light coming out of it, you see? So we need to create form. We need to create shape. We need to create familiar things. Uh, if we would only see code, we don't have a brain capable of, unless you're um, a coding expert. Uh, but even so, I mean, it, it takes time to read it. So you want something easy, fast. So contact in this case is happening. It's a dream is what I'm saying. Um, or it's a, it's a vivid dream. It's like you're awake, right? Daydreaming. You're having this contact. This is not a way to um, undermine the reality of contacts because the experience of contact is real, but it's not happening outside. Okay, Ra has more to say here. They say, in such cases, the entity's own expectations fashion the tale which shall be most acceptable to that entity. Make sense? And in the dream state or a trend state in which visions may be produced, this seeming memory is fed into the higher levels of the so-called subconscious and the lower levels of the conscious. From this point, the story may surface as any memory and cause the instrument to function without losing balance or sanity. So this is a very metaphysical and psychological explanation of what is happening within the mind to create the idea of an experience of contact. Uh, one of the things that is so great to associate with this this interpretation, this view that everything is simply part of your mind, is that the nature of DMT experiences, and I'm talking about Rick Strassman's, which I have mentioned before in his book, towards the end, right after he finished every case and everything, he said, I found it really interesting that the reports on UFO contact match perfectly the same experience that people had under my investigation and research with DMT. He was injecting very powerful doses of DMT, uh, intravenous, of course, and people were having the most uh, wild experiences. And they said the same, I mean, not all of them, but some people were stimulated. So what's happening here? They are being contacted by their own minds. In other words, this is psychedelics, of course. Uh, so anybody who has tried uh, some sort of psychedelics 
can attest to this and know that yes, there is a, there's definitely something going on in my mind. I wasn't taking a board at craft, I was there. Or if it happened, it happened in my mind. So you see the same thing is happening. And I found it really interesting that Rick Strassman said it was the same thing. Like the reports, and he he talked about it. Um, he talked about it like comparing the experiences that some people had with reptiles or uh, people doing surgery on them or being in another planet and so on. Same thing, same thing as UFO. So in my view, and this is my most scientific interpretation of this, there is a production of DMT, by the way, if, if you didn't know that we produce DMT, now you know, we produce our own DMT. And um, when we produce this DMT, maybe there is a secretion of DMT, I don't know why, but that causes the, uh, a slight experience. It could be very strong, it could be very intense, but a slight experience of being contacted by UFOs. Um, by the way, most of these experiences are benign, are positive, and people report this as well. So, what is Ross saying here? Well, an explanation, like I said, a psychological explanation as to why these experiences happen. Ross says, in such cases, the contact, the entity's own expectations fashion the tale, the story, which shall be most acceptable to that entity, based on your own subconscious you will create a whole story of what was happening. Now why? Who is creating the story or what is creating the story? Well, Ross says, in the dream state or a trance state in which visions may be produced, this seeming memory is fed into the higher levels of the so-called subconscious. So uh, this memory, which is buried in the unconscious or uh, around there, I would say, in the deeper, portions of the mind, they surface up and so they get to the subconscious and then to the lower levels of the conscious. From this point, the conscious mind is this, what you are experiencing right now, uh, the matrix of reality. From this point, the story may surface as any memory and cause the instrument to function without losing balance or sanity. They're referring to instrument as the person who is being um, stimulated by this you can call it psychedelic experience uh, or simply contact. Now, who or what is contacting you? Your own unconscious. You see that unknown part of yourself. Isn't that great? That there is, there is you. There is the separate self at the very surface of what we believe we are. And then there is the true self. That true self is always informing through this tree of mind that's intelligent infinity uh, using the spiritual uh, shuttle, right? The spiritual complex to inform the mind and the mind then has a, a whole root and uh, trunk and everything else. So yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because everything that we are is simply consciousness having an experience. And in that experience, the joke is that we get lost. We get lost in the experience saying, I am this. I'll give you a last analogy, and that would be the video games. Imagine which, if you play video games, I know you have been absorbed to that point in which you feel you're the character. How is it possible that you can have emotional reactions when the character dies or when the character gets hit or you lose whatever track 
you're in because we're invested. We're totally invested in it. We forgot it's a game. And so we have emotional reactions because we think we are, whatever it is, it's a, uh, it's a distorted way of identifying ourselves, but it proves the point. On the contrast, you may say, well, I can only play video games if I'm not, uh, if I'm invested in the character or the game or whatever. And the truth is that you don't. And for that, I have, um, for those of you who don't know, I, I, was, I grew up in the 90s and being a sort of sick child, I couldn't go out much, I played a lot of Nintendo and I, I was fascinated with these games and I played video games all my life basically. So at, I think it was last year when I started doing what is called speed runs and you finish a game as fast as possible. And I play one of my favorite, all-time favorites, which is Ninja Gaiden. And you've probably seen my t-shirt of Ninja Gaiden because I love that game. And one of my favorite speedrunners is somebody called Arcus. His name is not Arcus, but that's his stage name, if you will. And he depicts the most unattached person to any video game. Other speedrunners get totally emotional about the game. He is not invested at all. You see his calm, zen way to everything. And it's just fascinating to see somebody like that. You see, because he is a good example of how to play the game of life without being involved and yet enjoying it. Okay, so I think I'm gonna cut it here. We are definitely gonna cover this in three sessions or three videos, podcast episodes. Conclusions. Um, seek the keys to unknowing is such a powerful um, phrase how do you do this I'll give you some advice because this is what I work with this is what I do this is how I teach people how to get in touch with themselves this is the purpose of the direct path actually for those of you who know my teachings the direct path is a direct path to unknowing. Now, to reinforce this, my first step in my course is called the I am not. I don't know what I am. I am not. I am not this. I am not that. This is the neti neti process. Um, we can call it the apophatic system and the via negativa, which is something that I emphasize in my course. Why do we do this? Because we first need to acknowledge that the self, which I have been identifying with, is not doing me a favor. It has been suffering or causing suffering. Now you may say, well, okay, but I intellectually learned that all of this is an illusion. So even my suffering is an illusion. I don't care to, uh, to suffer anymore. And I would say, that's great. That is fantastic. Uh, but are you being honest with yourself? See, are, are you using this as a coping mechanism? That's a question I can't answer, only you can. Um, and I find this a lot in what is termed neo-advaita or neo-non-duality out there, which is just taking lessons and philosophy out of non-duality, out of context, to be, uh, to be lived to say, oh, don't worry, you don't exist, no matter what you do, everything's fine, and so on. Well, you have to ask yourself, what's happening in me? 
Why? I, I don't want to do this anymore. Now, it so happens that if you're listening to this, you have been called to this enlightenment, to this self-realization. Why do I know this? Because you call yourself a spiritual seeker or whatever it is. Uh, you can call yourself a starseed or a wanderer. All these terms are ways to say, I have felt the call to know myself, to understand that I'm not this limited being. Time and again, I have explained why there are so many steps into this that can be infinite steps because you just keep walking with the mind or there is the full realization of oneness, which again, is the keys to unknowing. Investigating the nature of yourself, then seeing what the implications are, that's the key to everything. Um, one last thing I'll mention and that I have talked about before is that the reason why I feel this is the way um, is because up until that point in which I, I got deeper into my investigation, which was a gradual process, up until that point and through that gradual process, I was, um, I was still confused and I was still hesitant to say, oh, this is the way. Why? Because intellectually, I had so many opposing methods and how to do it and things that people say and so on. But because this method is all about pure experience, I was able to corroborate it, to validate it within myself. And the most amazing result happened, which is this detachment from things. And like I said, it's a gradual process. The ego is a conditioned uh, self that keeps surfacing. And that's okay. Because in the past, you didn't know how to deal with the ego. But now, you don't have to. You just have to recognize when those patterns it's almost like people used to scare you because they used to dress up and getting a custom or something and disguise as a monster or a clown or whatever and used to scare you. You thought they were real and you would run away or you would fight them and so on. Now you're so aware that you see their customs for what they are and say, oh, I know that's not, that's not real. It's not me. So that's my best advice. All right. I have nothing else to say but to invite you again to my Patreon if you want to support my work here. It's going to take me another year to finish this um, this whole material. I think it would because these sessions are, are pretty long. Um, so visit my Patreon and my course on online. You can check it or yeah, reach out to me on Instagram if you want to know more about this path that I've been teaching with great results. I'm just, I'm honored to be working with people who have been taking these steps and, and their results. They're just amazing. Um, so if you want to become one of them, check me out on Instagram, uh, send me a text there. If you don't have Instagram, then open an account. It's the only way you can reach out to me. All right. I have nothing else to say, but thank you. I appreciate you listening to this, watching whatever method you use, and I'll see you in part two of session 84.